I think because their metric system is just, it's three things. So if well, outside of those three things, they don't consider themselves bad. Where it's like, because there's so little things on that list, it's pretty easy to check them off. And now that like we're talking about it, I'm thinking about my male clients and not one of them has shown up and been like, I'm exhausted. And every single one of my female clients show up and they're like, I'm exhausted. Every single one. Hi friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Ali Rizakas. Ali is the founder of Ali Rizakas Coaching, and she is the imposter syndrome coach. And in our conversation, we talk about something that I think afflicts all of us in sales at one time or another, and that is the imposter syndrome. So we start off the conversation as Ali shares what the imposter syndrome is and who it is most likely to affect. We explore the five different archetypes, if you will, of imposters or imposter syndrome. And you may recognize yourself as we explore what each of these are. For example, like the perfectionist, who's always afraid that they aren't measuring up to expectations, even when they are. And then we dig into how Allie works with people to help them overcome this challenge. So we get into all this and much, much more. But before we get to Allie, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could leave us a review and give us your feedback about how we're doing. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Ali, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's a pleasure to have you. So um, you're not up in the, the frozen north where you usually live. You are somewhere else now. Yeah, not where my LinkedIn says. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Right. <laughs> I uh, actually, funny enough, I was updating my like my um, company page, and it was saying, "Where do you live?" And I just put the beach. For <laughs> now. I couldn't bring myself to say Toronto, which I'm originally from, but I'm currently in Hilton Head, South Carolina, living by the beach. Yeah, it's sort of like an extended tryout of the digital nomad lifestyle. Is that Basically, fair? yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've sampled lots of different places recently. Mm-hmm. Ever since I started, ever since I left corporate, so I left corporate March 30th, 2020. Yeah. And basically May 15th, I started traveling. So my parents live in New York. So I went to New York for a bit. Then we went to Denver. Then we did Hawaii. Went back to Toronto for a little bit. And um, then I did Costa Rica for a couple months. And nice. Yeah, which was beautiful and lovely. Then went back to Toronto for like 12 days. And we originally came to Hilton Head um, for New Year's. So my brother's uh, in-laws have a place here. So we often come for New Year's. Mm-hmm. So New Year's was obviously December 31st. We were supposed to go back January 11th and we're still here. We just keep <laughs> extending it. <laughs> and why not, right? It's because what like faces summer you back, today. Yeah, what faces you back in Toronto is not summer. And what I've honestly, what I've learned from all these travels is that your environment really does matter. Like it really does put you in a different state, you know? And so of all the places you've been, if you could say, okay, I'm just going to go stay. Mm. Where would that be? I'm, oh, there's so much, like I loved Denver, but it has winter. So I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm doing that. <laughs> oh, Hawaii. Yeah. But, no winter in Hawaii. Yes, no winter in Hawaii. Hawaii is magical, but there's like a little lack of uh, entertainment. Like people, like 8 p.m. 
everything is shut down, you know? And that's okay. I can honestly go to bed at 10 p.m. But Well, that's here's the secret, though. So you weren't in Honolulu. Yes, exactly. I was in Maui. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So maybe in Honolulu would be different. That's that's true. I mean, we've been, my wife and I go multiple times a year, typically to Hawaii, not so much, obviously, the last couple of years. And we've got to the point, you know, we spent a lot of time in Maui and Kauai and love Maui and Kauai, but you know, we actually find we really enjoy Honolulu. Mm. For the actors? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we've, we've become members of the Honolulu <laughs> Museum of Art and, and oh, all, nice. all these other yeah. things. You know, it's just like, uh, yeah, it's just sort of this, one of the most diverse cities, mm. I think, in the yeah. United States. And yeah, we just like it a lot. I've, so I've never been to Honolulu. I've never been to that island. All I've right. done Maui and Big Island, basically. But There's I think your tip. Yeah, perfect. That's I'll book the next flight. <laughs> okay. But I think what you just said about like, you know, we're members of the the museum there or um I think the important piece in that is like you need to find your community, right? Mm. And so it when I was in Costa Rica is really when I started to find my community. And that's really what kind of this traveling has been about for me is finding a community of people that are kind of focused on the same thing, like building their own businesses and trying to design and create a life that really like lights them up and, and mm-hmm. makes them feel alive. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so leaving Costa Rica was, you know, bittersweet <laughs> and Hilton Head listen is like so calm and quiet i have no external stressors like there's no noise pollution there's no light pollution like it's so peaceful mm. but also lack of action you know yeah. lack of lack of community right like i like we were joking about before yes. it's del boca vista down here it's you know like <laughs> i am the youngest person they've ever seen Morty. you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah right um, so i would say costa rica because like so i'm going back and like you know, one of my best friends will be there. Another girl that I met while I was there is also going to be there. Mm-hmm. Like so many of us are kind of coming back together and meeting there. Mm. And like, that's, that's the nice part, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. All right. Yeah. Well, you have to keep us posted on, on your year. Link- uh, LinkedIn will keep you posted. Yeah. On your travels. Yeah. We'll stalk you there. So yeah, you are the imposter syndrome coach. So Me. wow. Well, <laughs> Hey, that's what your LinkedIn title says. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, if it says that on LinkedIn, it's real. It's real, right? <laughs> so uh, let's dig into that. So, I mean, I've, sorry, very interesting positioning is is first of all, may I just tell people they may know, perhaps they think they know what the imposter syndrome is, but but tell us what that is. Yeah. So how it's kind of clinically defined, if you will, is incessant thoughts. Um, negative thoughts about how you aren't successful despite clear evidence that you are successful. So kind of really acting like feeling like a fraud, like, Oh my God, like I'm not good enough. Someone's going to find out I shouldn't have this job and I'm going to get fired type of thinking. So feeling like you're not as competent perhaps as others think you are. Yeah. And one thing I do want to say to, to make a distinction of is like, what I want to break the stigma about is it's not something that you like have, like people are like, Oh, I have that. It's something that you feel like, it's not like you don't have to be cured of imposter syndrome. Like it's, you're not broken. Like it's a collection of thoughts and it's something that you feel, you know? So, okay. Well, that that makes sense is, is, uh, how is it most often manifested? I mean, if, if, I mean, I, I, I've had my own 
uh, <laughs> struggles with it, but but from time to time. But yeah, typically for most people, what's how does it sort of manifest? How they sort of say, "Oh gosh, this is really this is what's <laughs> what's working at me." Yeah, well, I think it's like <clears throat> the magnitude, the loudness, and the consistent negative self-talk, right? Like it's like, it's overbearing and it's so much louder than anything else in your head. Right. And it kind of like spirals you into this vortex of not feeling good enough. And then your confidence gets shot and then you don't show up as, you know, with conviction and whatnot. And, you know, in the corporate settings, all my clients are, are in the corporate setting, you know, it can look like the biggest, not the biggest, but one of the ones that always comes up is like, it can look like being afraid to speak up in a meeting for fear of saying something stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, that seems so innocuous, but like huge, right? It can feel like not going for a promotion because you don't think you're good enough for it. Right. Right. Another big one is um, overworking because you're constantly trying to prove that you're meant to be there and you're smart enough and you're good enough. So you like take on more and say yes to more things. And so you're totally right. overworked and totally overexhausted. And you, and what happens is you stop prioritizing yourself and your needs. And every single, like every single time I have a new client, they're just like, I'm exhausted. And I'm like, right. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, It's exhausting to try to like prove yourself thinking that you need to prove yourself constantly, you know? Yeah, I was I was uh, doing some research in preparation for this, and I was, came across this article. This woman wrote that said there are you know, five types of imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. if you will, and one of them mm-hmm. was just as you described: the superwoman slash Superman is that people convinced that they have to work harder and harder to measure up because they're convinced they're inadequate, right? Yeah, uh, convinced they're phonies. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Well, I mean, we, this is something we all suffer from from some degree oh, at some yeah. point right For i mean sure. i remember when i was writing my first book and this was I don't know, 10 plus years ago at this point mm. and i had, was in new york city and manhattan and was looking for a quiet place to write and the city has these writing rooms um you can go in and they're basically quiet spaces where you subscribe become a member and then you walk in and you just grab an empty desk or a mm. soft chair or couch somewhere and, and write and so you had to sign in and so I remember signing in and looking at some of the names on the sign is like, mm. holy shit, these are real authors here. <laughs> yeah. I recognized two screenwriters, uh, one famous wow. movie director, some other novelists that, and I'm like, <laughs> I'd never written anything before. And I was like, I'm just writing my little sales book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. Yeah, it felt like, yeah, huge imposter in that, that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Are there times in your life where you haven't felt it? Where like maybe you think you should have felt it or, you know, it would be commonplace to feel it, but you're like, no, I just, I feel really confident in what I'm doing and who I am. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, well, I think sort of the underlying thing for me is, is I have sort of this baseline of optimism mm. that sort of carries me through. That's like, yeah, even if things are really bad, they'll be better and they'll be okay. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that sort of has informed my my outlook in life. And but yeah, there are definitely moments where, for me, a lot of times it's it's triggered by other people mm-hmm. who it appears on the surface that everything's easy for them. 
Mm-hmm. Right? And then you're mm-hmm. thinking, well, what's wrong with me? Yeah. <laughs> right? Is, is yeah. like early in my sales career, because I'm relatively introverted in social situations, is, yeah, mm. people who just just seem to be able to make it really easy to strike up conversations with strangers and and yeah. so on. And I was just like, yeah, yeah. That, That's not me. So I guess I'm never going to be as successful, right? Yeah, well, I started writing about it in this latest book, but it's it's was a way to go and work your way through that pretty easily. But yeah, it does strike you. There was um, a Simon Sinek video that I shared the other day that was exact talking about exactly what you just said, right? As leaders, it's so important. Like it, the theme for the talk was around authenticity and mm-hmm. I guess right. courageous authenticity, right? And it's so important for leaders to like let their team know like when they're not okay like when things are hard for them like when they don't have it all together because i think as leaders we often think like gotta have it all together gotta make it look easy gotta be perfect like you know and it's that is kind of what can breed imposter syndrome right is because what happens is as if you're giving that perception to your team right as a leader that to be a leader you need to have it all together and never show any weakness now your team's like well clearly like I like I'm I can't do that. Like I'm a mess inside. I, how would I ever be as perfect as that, right? And so that they and then they think that they're never going to be as successful because they can't be like that, right? So to to me, like authentic leadership is like literally letting people know like when you're not okay and that it's okay to not be okay, you know. Well, and along with that, I would add is is it's okay to let people know what you don't know. Yes. Because that you're not perfect, that you're not perfect, and I I think this goes hand in hand. I think this is, in my estimation, this is this is one of the real problems with sales leadership, Mm -hmm. and this is not a new new issue. I think it's it's been exacerbated recently by I don't know just the environment, perhaps. But well, you kind of only get a snapshot of someone when you're on Zoom calls, right? You can kind of perform on the call. Well, there's that, but I but I think one thing that's yeah, I, I sort of first really noticed this when I started my consulting business twenty plus years ago, and 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 when I first got started with the business, I was marketing my services to VPs of sales, you mm-hmm. know, chief sales officers. I no one called themselves chief revenue officer at that time, but and I I wasn't having much success, and what I sort of finally dawned on me was, oh. These people are all afraid to go to the CEO and say, mm, they I need help. help. Mm, yeah. To a person. Because mm. the assumption is that if you carry the title, got it all together. You've got it all together. You know everything. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and unfortunately, people f- try to live up to that. Yeah. Right. So I think that I think there's <laughs> so many changes we need to make in the way we uh, you know, structure sales organizations and leadership around them. And one that that I give oftentimes is, you know, if you ever watch the show Billions, I haven't, but I've heard okay. much about right. it. So one of the yeah. key characters there in this this hedge fund trading firm is uh, on staff is one of the sort of principals of the firm is a psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that Brilliant. everything we've read about mental health and mental well being within sales organization, in particular, is you don't need to have a very big sales team. I think in order to justify having somebody on retainer at a minimum, if not on staff, a psychologist of sort mm-hmm. to help sellers because yeah. this is a performance-based profession. And 
if you draw the parallels to professional sports, sports of course performance base yeah, they have performance base they have staff psychologists they have people they call on uh that's just one example i've got others well and it would be insane for any sports team to not have a coach it well, looks- not, well not have a, a psychologist right that type of sport right yeah so so in sales though we put people in charge who have no grounding in performance improvement, no, mm-hmm. nothing about psychology. And this is not a criticism. This mm-hmm. is a position we put them in. And they're assumed that they are experts in, well, how do I, how do I motivate people? Or how, mm-hmm. do I, how do I help somebody improve their performance in a way that's more scientifically driven perhaps than just by anecdote based on your own experience? Mm-hmm. And as a result, though, they feel like, well, I must be the expert in that because I hold that title. So I'm not gonna, I can't ask to bring somebody in to help. Yeah, totally. Totally. I, I mean, this has been my forever struggle with leadership, right? Because it, it, I, I feel like the problem is so obvious. Like what you just described. I mean, it's like no one gets leadership training. People are thrusted into leadership because they were the top performer, Right. And mm-hmm. as a, as a top performer, you know, you are inherently very you focused, right? To be a top performer, you got to be working on your craft, thinking about you, right? Of course, you're maybe collaborating with people. Obviously, that's a part mm-hmm. of it, but your motivation is you as, a top, as an individual contributor, right? And then tomorrow, you're a leader for people. And now your motivation needs to come from somewhere else because it's not about you anymore. You're never going to get the accolades and the award, you know, no one's going to shout you out. Right. How do you, how does someone's motivation and drive change overnight? Well, to your point, it's, we don't give the people the tools to handle those jobs. Yeah. I say this, we collectively, I mean, obviously there are yeah. exceptions in, in larger organizations that have more well-established leadership training and management training. But by and large, unless you're one of those big companies, which yeah, most people aren't working for those large companies, they don't get this. And so it is, that's why I, I, I feel you know, horrible for frontline managers who are thrust into these high pressure jobs, especially, you know, we're seeing increasingly in the tech world where the tenure of everybody within the sales organization is basically about a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one's ever like hit their zone of excellence when they do. Get a new job, you know, get promoted yeah, they go to something jump you don't somewhere. know. And yeah. instead of doubling down and learning more, they they yeah. jump somewhere. Yeah. And I wonder sometimes too whether that that desire to jump is sort of based on the idea that I need to go before people really find out who I am. Mm. Maybe. Maybe. I think the other thing too that I think about is the reasons sometimes people get into leadership. You know, is it are you doing it because it's really, you know, you're passionate about leading others or are you doing it because it's like just what you're supposed to do? Cause that's the next thing of climbing the ladder. Well, I think there's certainly some of that. If, if, if it's not laid out for people clearly that, Hey, there's a career here for people that just want to be individual contributors. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think more and more people are comfortable with that role. I mean, it's be, Certainly in the tech world, you see more of that. People have been, yeah, like senior account execs or in some cases, you know, they want the companies made to reward them with, with 
titles and so on as they're dealing with bigger and bigger accounts, but they're still fundamentally yeah. individual contributors. Yeah. I think that's great, but I think companies need to do a better job of spelling out what that path looks like. Mm-hmm. Totally. So if you so don't be a manager, don't feel, as, yeah. yeah, left behind, but as you know, so taking on bigger accounts, uh, you know, specific types of accounts, whatever yeah. that enrich the career of the individual. Yeah. Yeah. It can't just be leadership. Yeah. Because it's really not for everyone. You have no. to real. you have to really, really like people first and foremost, and you have to really, really be motivated by other people's success and the impact that you make on other people. Exactly. And I think that's, that is unfortunately sort of the missing piece because yeah. if you put people who are inexperienced on those jobs who don't understand these fundamentals about how to really work through other people and help other people succeed to become the best version of themselves. Then you get the scenario we oftentimes see in, in some companies where the frontline managers just rely on managing by activity and metrics. <laughs> yes, exactly. And because yes. that's something that's clear to them. Easy. They get it. I can grasp that. I can grasp exactly. those numbers. You're not making enough calls. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What make more calls. <laughs> yeah. And that then becomes the, the solution to everything, right? Yeah. One of the things I talk to, I talk a lot about with um, my clients that are leaders is really around having a vision and a mission as a leader. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, where leaders, where imposter syndrome starts to seep in and they start to feel a lack of confidence and, you know, a lack of being able to make strategic decisions and whatnot is when they don't do their own personal work. Right. So you mentioned like, how do you motivate others? How do you understand others? Well, listen, you got a real good canvas in yourself to try, to try Mm -hmm. that on, right? Like you need to do the work to understand yourself. And when you do the work to understand yourself, you'll very easily understand what is your vision? What is your mission? And that is so important as a leader, I find, because I want to work for a leader that is very clear, you know, that like, I know exactly who I'm working for. I know why they care about their job. I know what they're trying to do. I know what their vision is, right? Because then I can say, yep, I'm in, let's go. I'm into this vision. Like I want to hitch my horse to your wagon. But when a leader is unclear, it's much harder for the team to rally around that leader. Right. Well, the fact is it's never been easier for leaders to do that work. And, yeah. The simple way to do it is post on LinkedIn. Mm. What do you what do you believe in? What's your point of view about management? What's your point of view about compensation? How you structure territories, how you develop individuals, how you help individuals improve. Put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. I mean it's like you could say, well, journal. Right? Mm-hmm. You're never gonna as an individual, you're never gonna understand these things unless you force yourself to reduce them to writing. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I mean, I firmly believe that. And yeah. so if you want to have a better understanding of yourself is, yeah, put it in writing. So maybe, maybe start with a journal, but then post it on LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what it's there for, right? Is, is come to an understanding of yourself. I know this would make people cringe when they think, Oh, you want me to go post my wife? Think well, on the imposter syndrome that would show up for that. <laughs> that's right. But yeah. That's yeah. one of the things that you overcome. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like putting yourself in, you know, challenging yourself every day, right. Putting yourself in a hard situation every single day. Right. I think that's like maybe the David Goggins thing or one of those people like say that, but I mean, LinkedIn is a 
very easy but hard thing to do every day. You know what I mean? Like putting yourself out there every day. Sure. But it, and you have that. I mean, so I've it's so been available. Posting on it for a, for a long time, and I you know, still occasionally feel it. I mean, publish a new book. Yeah, a new book coming out. <laughs> I think by the time this airs, it'll be out. And it's like, I don't know. It's my third book, but you still have that moment where it's like, is everybody going to think I'm an idiot? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's so funny because like no one is like I'm so excited for your book I'm like Andy wrote a book of course I'm reading it you know <laughs> well thank you but but yeah, yeah no but it's it's still there right yeah. so but the way we we arm ourselves against I was gonna say shield but we can't completely shield ourselves against the way you arm yourself against it is to have a point of view put it out in public let people respond to it and continue to grow with it yeah i think there's this thing about um fitting in right like we've been kind of conditioned our whole lives to fit in you know through schooling and whatnot because fitting in means safety right then you're a part of a you know tribe or a community or you know mm-hmm. you fit in with the crowd you're you're safe and so you know you just said point of view which is why i'm bringing this up right sure. i think people are afraid to have a point of view because Will they fit in? Well, but if they don't have a point of view increasingly, then they're not going to get the job they want. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if you're a hiring manager and you most certainly are looking at people's LinkedIn profiles to, to hire them for a job, especially a leadership position of any sort, mm-hmm. maybe even a frontline manager, if you're not promoting from within, which you should be, but if you're not, it's like, okay, what's who is this person? What do they stand for? Exactly. What do you believe? What do you believe? And if they look at your LinkedIn profile and you believe seemingly nothing, Mm -hmm. then you'll pale in comparison to the person that, that, uh, that does. Has a point of view. Totally. I mean, everyone that I see on LinkedIn, that's, you know, creating a brand for themselves and a voice and has a point of view. I'm just like, Oh, I'm in awe of you because I only started really, you know, sharing my point of view on LinkedIn when I started you know, being a full-time coach. And it's Mm -hmm. the one, it's honestly the one regret I have. So I talk about a lot on LinkedIn about how it took me eight years to get to becoming a full-time coach. Although it was Mm -hmm. like trained eight years ago as a coach, but I stayed in corporate and it was hard to leave and la la la. I don't regret staying in corporate for those eight years. I mean, my experience was, I mean, so useful. Right. And I couldn't do what I'm doing now eight years ago. You know, like there was just, it went to, it went to work. But the one thing I do regret is I wish I started sharing my point of view on LinkedIn eight years ago. Yeah. Like um, imagine my audience by this point, (laughs) you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, I share that sentiment. I mean, I started even later in life than you and Mm. yeah, if there's, I can, I don't traffic and regrets (laughs) very often. Right. But if Me I neither. One, that's why it's like my only one. <laughs> yeah. If I had one is I, yeah, I would have started doing this, uh, which could have been podcasting, yeah, posting on LinkedIn, writing books, blogging, yeah. all that. I would have sharing, sharing. I would have started sooner, but what the heck better late than well, never. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so, so happy that I do it. I mean, I've made so many amazing friends on LinkedIn mm-hmm. because they know who I am. They know yeah. exactly what they're going to get when they talk to me. You know, it's, there's no surprise. And people that believe in what I believe, because that's what I talk about on LinkedIn, they're going to message me and they're going to want to, you know, be 
but my friend. And so it's created this entire community for me online that like, you know, now I'm going to one of their birthdays in Lisbon, never even met them in person, but I'm going to their birthday in Lisbon. You know, <laughs> I like that. Well, I was, I was, uh, walking out on a walk early evening with my wife, uh, last week, last week in, in San Diego. And someone said, Hey, Andy, I'd never met them in person. Yeah. It's just they had seen my photo online. Wow. <laughs> Your big shot. Your big time. No, it's such a big shot. But it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's someone I'd communicate with. And yeah, yeah. It took 20 seconds or so to sort of place the connection. But it's like, yeah, it's basically a LinkedIn connection. It really, like, it really shrinks the world in a, in the nicest way possible. You know what I mean? Like, we're not that, like, separate and different and spread apart as you think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So back to imposter syndrome. So I yeah. just want to run through these these five types because we've been talking about it. But it's, it's fascinating. This is an article written by a woman named Valerie Young. And she mm-hmm. said five types. If one was the perfectionist. And there and there mm-hmm. is, based on other things I've read, is, is there is this tie between imposter syndrome and perfectionism mm-hmm. that you know, people are just afraid, afraid they aren't measuring up. Yeah, right. Because it's not perfect. It's not, it's not perfect, you know. right? Yeah. So yeah, if you're a real perfectionist, heads up on that. Uh, yeah. The second one was Superwoman, Superman. Yeah. People experience phenomenon. Their phonies have to push themselves harder to measure up. And so one question I had on that is just wondering, based on your practice, it would seem like, you know, sort of given where we are and where we've been, is maybe women feel this more acutely than men. I would, I definitely have more women clients than, than men. Um, how I think about it is that there was like a study when I was, when I was getting certified in positive psychology, I remember there was, we talked about this study around like women were asked, like, what do you like, write down all the things that you feel like you need to be good at or Mm -hmm. something like that. Right. And they wrote like between 12 to 15 things on that piece of paper. And they asked, (laughs) right. And they they asked men and the average was three. Right. <laughs> of course. Classic. And so I think honestly, like that's the most illuminating piece of evidence that I have, which is like, I think women just like we've been programmed and we have a paradigm that was, you know, programmed in us that says we have to be good at so many things. Like being good at three things is not enough. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it sort of reminds me of, of, uh, posts from a woman who, um, <laughs> whose name I'm blanking on. Mm. Um, oh, Tiffany Hempel. From, mm. Yes. And well, she used to be about, at LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. Who wrote about, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, she, she identified she had 13 jobs. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And mom and this. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Yeah. The list yeah. for men was much shorter. So exactly. So yes, that'd be, that would be under, understandable. And mm. I think maybe some of that though, too, with, Again, perhaps is men maybe lack some of the, and this is not criticizing men, but I think just instinctively may lack some of the emotional intelligence to mm. to maybe feel inadequate in certain situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, th- yeah, I think they well we because bluster, I think, we bluster through. I, well, and I think because their metric system is just it's three things. So if outside of those three things, they don't consider themselves bad at any, you know what I mean? Like where it's like, 
because there's so little things on that list, it's pretty easy to check them off. Now, now that like we're talking about it, I'm thinking about my male clients and not one of them has shown up and been like, I'm exhausted. And every single one of my female clients show mm-hmm. up and, they're, and mm-hmm. they're like, I'm exhausted. Every single one. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Third, third. So we've been through the perfectionist, the superwoman, superman, the natural genius. We started touching on this is um, people feel they need to be naturally good at something, right? Yeah. This is yeah. before the examples, you know, the connection part didn't come really super easy to me. And mm. Mm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, still to this day, I have friends that walk into a room full of strangers, social setting, business setting, whatever. Yeah, no issue with them at all. I yeah. still, <laughs> it's still hard work for me. <laughs> yeah, but does it make you bad at it? No, it doesn't make me bad. It's just or I ineffective it, at it. Yeah, uh, definitely not ineffective at it. I just <laughs> do it differently, and it, it, yeah, it took me a while in my career to just gonna get to the point of saying like, oh yeah, okay, I don't really envy them. I just do it differently. Yeah, well, so what's interesting is like the kind of three universal wounds that we all kind of fall into. One of them is I'm not enough, which mm-hmm. like is the crux of imposter syndrome. Right. But the, but the other one is I'm different, right? Mm-hmm. Feeling like you're different than other people. So what you just described is that like, Oh, well, I'm not naturally chatty, talkative and charismatic, you know, in, in, in crowds. So I'm different and using that as like a reason to feel not good enough. Right. And not, confident and all that kind of stuff right i must not belong here because that doesn't come easy to me yeah it's like by the way isn't that isn't that always salespeople like right they have one bad month they're like well i guess sales isn't for me you know (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i've had more than one bad month but still early on in your sales career yeah early on like the the first one you're like well see i guess i guess it's not for me and you're like yeah you just i had sort of this different take and again i talk about my book is is just I knew that the difference would be my, my superpower. Mm-hmm. Which so, is? Well, being more human focused. Um, right. And the things I described in the book is, is, yeah, it wasn't, and I'm not salesy, right? Yeah. Uh, Quintessentially. But, but I was surrounded by people that were. And mm-hmm. yeah, over time, just I sort of understood it's like, oh, yeah. Not being that way is actually said my advantage. Well, that's the thing. It's like people take I'm different as a negative, but it's actually always your superpower. Yeah, precisely. Right? Yeah. It's like just the lens that you look at it from. Well, and I think that's a, one of the things we can do as leaders is to give people permission to look through those lenses. Mm-hmm. And, and, and show them of, a different perspective too. Right. And show right? them a different perspective. And again, that's, not to be too overly self-promotional, but again, I talk about that specifically in the <laughs> book is, is that leaders have to feel comfortable giving their sellers more autonomy to, to view things differently mm-hmm. and to be different yeah. Yeah. and to be less rigid in expecting people to comply to a certain process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember having reps that, you know, felt different, like, well, I, you know, I don't do it that way. And, you know, that's not how, and I would be like, I know that's why I hired you. You know, like that's, that's your talent. Like, yeah, it's great that you don't do it like them. Who cares what they're doing? Well, but that's, again, it's, if you're 
got the syndrome now of managers you know, who don't have a ton of experience themselves, but also haven't been trained and enabled the right mm-hmm. way. They feel threatened by that mm-hmm. oftentimes or yeah. fearful about it because they know how that they're manage shortly this different sh- person. Right. How to manage this different person and what if it affects our numbers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The numbers, always the numbers. <laughs> yeah. So I would always sort of put it to a boss is say, well, hold me accountable for performing, but I'm going to do it my way. Right there with you, Andy. I was always very upfront about who I was as a leader in all of my interviews. Like mm-hmm. if, if you want like a numbers driven metrics driven, you know, someone that manages that way, don't hire me straight up. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to be that person. I am always going to focus on the people and the people will take care of my business. That's all I care about. Yeah. Well, I, I, Yes, I was pretty much the same way. I have a story in the book about manager got sort of frustrated with me because yeah, my I'd, I'd be open to suggestion, open to ideas, but I always would process and say, okay, is this going to fit what I want? Mm-hmm. So it, it was never, it never came across as, across as blind obedience, mm. which is what some managers like. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. My perspective was, well, I could go do what you want, but if it doesn't work out, I don't hit my numbers, who gets fired, me or you? Right. So if it's going me, yeah. I'm going to go out on my own terms. Mm. And yeah. yeah, so my, this was one boss, you know, my typical answer to him was, well, huh, that's interesting. Let me, let me think about that. Yeah. <laughs> they probably didn't like that so much. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. One day, certain frustration, I goes, don't you ever just say yes to anything? Mm. The answer was no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, Allie, it's been great to have you on the show. If people yes. want to learn more about the services you offer and what you do, how should they do that? Absolutely. So where I hang out most is LinkedIn. Um, so just Allie Rosakos. And then uh, my website as well has, you know, what I offer, my one-on-one coaching and uh, testimonials, all that kind of good stuff, which is just AllieRosakos.com. Perfect. All yeah. right. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoy the rest of your time in Hilton Head or Del Boca Vista. Yeah, yeah, the Del Boca Vista of Hilton, of uh, South Carolina. Yeah, about to go have a little cocktail by the pool. So, oh, should be a nice good. little Friday. <laughs> sounds good. All right. Yeah, Allie, thank you. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. So grateful for your support of the show, and I want to thank my guest Ali Rizakos for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help, and thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.